You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I am welcoming back uh, the, the, the second guest to return, uh, the mighty, mighty Brendan Burns, recorded live at Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival 2015. Uh, this conversation took place just last weekend and we are rushing it to you now because uh, it was an awful lot of fun. Here's Brendan Burns. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows why the fuck they did that. Do they? Wow, that's um, a that's a wrestling thing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. What specifically? What? I've, I've almost like uh, inadvertently become the wrestling fans' wrestling fan. That is not that is not inadvertent. That's a deliberate career shift of yours. You love wrestling, and you've been doing everything. To that is true, actually. You know what? Anytime anyone talks about coming out, I now get it. Like life is so much better when you come out. Yeah. Of because uh, uh, for years I guess I was worried that people would we're a misunderstood bunch aren't we you know it's like do you know it's fake it's like do you like Star Wars get fucked right <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's it, it's it's the most it's the art form that's the most similar to ours yes and that, that's why wrestlers and comedians that that world those worlds are now really blending and the lifestyle as well isn't it the yeah, lifestyle of a, you're on of the a... road and you adapt what you do you have bits. But you adapt it based on the audience response. So yes. you do certain things at certain times. Are you allowed to be saying this? This is this isn't kayfabe, is it? Uh, oh, oh! I may not know much about wrestling, but I know a lot about secrets. Yeah. <laughs> kayfabe means uh, stuff that is uh, a work, you know, in order to get the audience going, and a shoot is something that is real. Kayfabe is a work. That's an example of using. <laughs> Using terminology to explain terminology. <laughs> they understood. No, absolutely, absolutely. But I just, uh, I'm sorry, he speaks Australian. For those of them... Let uh, me translate for you. No, I, well, you were using the term a work. Yes. I that's, that's terminology as well. So you're uh, using terminology to explain terminology. So a work is something that is, well, I suppose, fake, yes. Yes, no, exactly. And kayfabe is actually carny for fake. Yes, there we are. And uh, you too can attract uh, audience members with pictures of knives on their T-shirts if, uh, <laughs> if you uh, sort of would go further down this road. We, we'll talk about the wrestling stuff, 
We've got loads of stuff to talk about. Do you remember the first conversation that we had a year and a half ago? Yes, I do. We talked a lot about... I've written down some of the things we talked about that I felt we didn't finish. Yes. And that you may have felt that. Uh, because you emailed me the day after the episode came out. Yes. What did you say in that email, Brendan? I said, you know how I said young English comics can be a bit condescending? Yes. And you went, that doesn't happen. And you did exactly that. Okay, good. <laughs> exactly that. Because how long have you been doing this? Uh, 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> Go get me a fucking coffee. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because I remember you, uh, you broached it to begin with, and the thing is, it's like, you're a good guy, and I reckon you can take this, right? And, uh, and if you think I'm patronising him, I'm allowed to. Uh, <laughs> it's because you said uh, years ago you'd seen a poster of mine, and you wrote me off. And you said that the poster was, it was me uh, dressed as Conan, with a white lady and a black lady uh, strewn about me like warrior princesses. And on it, it said, there was a bunch of quotes, and at the end of it, it said, what was it? Uh, The quote was, all other quotes that you'll see on all other posters at this festival are massaged truths, half lies, and outright lies. Mine are the only real quotes. And then it had all your quotes. No, I said, these are the real quotes. Yes, exactly. So I'm not not that paraphrasing. But you've missed a part of the joke. Okay. Is that the quotes I put were negative. <laughs> so effectively, I told a joke that sailed over your head. Yes. Yeah. And yet, you, as a young new English comic, still had the balls to go. Well, I write this guy off. Ah. Now, at the time when Mine's I saw that black. poster, anyway, <laughs> when I saw that poster, I wasn't a comic, and I was trying to explain. Well, on that's the podcast, even fucking worse. <laughs> I was trying to explain on the podcast that I, as a punter, had written you off because of the bluster of the outward appearance of yes. what you were kind of projecting as Brendan. What we talked about at the time as being the leather jacket and bandana, Brendan. And I'd said that as a punter, I'd found it easy to go, oh, I think I know what this is going to be. So and I was then, explaining that I was wrong. Oh, I see. So, but not later as a comic were you going like, but now I get it. What were you saying? I was saying that the... You know what I was saying. I was I, saying I, 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 was saying it, I wrote you off. What it, what it boiled down to, the, the conversation we were having was about the fact that in your comedy youth, in your, in your earlier years as a comic, you had been the wild-eyed loner very deliberately. You were going, I'm a leather jacket. I'm Mad Max was the, uh, the analogy we used at the time. Have you seen... I went back and watched Mad Max 2 recently. I'm have glad we're seen... getting to the nub of the... Uh... No. Have you seen it? It's the most illegal movie in history. It's an insurance fucking nightmare. Because the first one, I mean, uh, my mate made a joke about Mad Max 2 is all they did was they stuck up CCTV cameras in the Australian outback and filmed for exactly two hours. (laughs) But Mad Max 2 is, it's amazing. Go back and and play the drinking game during Mad Max 2 because what is the basis of the movie is it's a post-apocalyptic nightmare. And all it is is, we're low on petrol. Yeah. (laughs) That's now. (laughs) But go and watch Mad Max 2 and play the drinking game what every time they waste petrol, they spend yeah. the entire movie wasting petrol. They're on motorbikes doing fucking donuts at night. They use petrol as a weapon because they set fire to it. And then the big twist at the end is, of course, they've got the truck. Right, that's another waste of petrol. Right, and 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 that's the decoy because it's filled with sand. And then the actual oil refinery, <laughs> refinery, they blow that up. <laughs> There's another waste of petrol, but their big, you know, their big plan of like we're going to paradise. There's this entire different world away. It's Queensland, right? <laughs> and it's uh, it's all the het- petrols in a bus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the end of the movie? There's four barrels. 
there's four barrels of petrol and the rest they blew up. And I believe the conversation we had last time tried to separate the bombastic shouting Brendan that likes to change the subject from, <laughs> from the thoughtful, wise, intelligent Brendan that I, at the time I suggested hadn't been allowed to get out. That's not true. No? No. I think... Cause, uh, cause what we were, and, and if it's not true, that's fine. We can bounce off that because the main thing we were talking about last time was condescension. And, and, that's, and you're accusing me of that and I understand that. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, in hindsight, when you said, like, I wrote you off, I was like, it's not your place to write me off. I meant as a punter, looking at, looking at a poster and deciding whether or not to see that show, I went, ah, oh, this is just big, loud, in your face, look how, look how dangerous and exciting I am. Ah, so um, I misunderstood. I, I see. understand. Fine. Uh, all right. But, then, there we go. All right. Good night. <laughs> 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 the grudge match settled. Um, but I thought, I thought we could start that because we didn't get... We, we started to, to, to chip away at that. And you were talking about the, your sense in comedy that there is us versus them. And your sense that... And I can see I, I'm going to need to remind you of some things you said very passionately last time. And uh, you say a oh, lot I of things... Oh, I can commit to anything. <laughs> I, I, I have now committed to just letting the crazy moron speak. OK, OK. Well, well, because I think we addressed that last time as well. As one, of the, one of the issues I see in British comedy is people are too bogged down with whether they think you're clever enough or a decent enough person. Yes. But the fact that this whole idea that comedy is truth, it's not. It's preposterous notions. And then Jerry Seinfeld put it very well in his Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Never heard of it. Because uh, uh, <laughs> uh, he said it's, uh, comedy is all about proofs. Is you put forward a preposterous notion and then you prove it. Yes. And somewhere uh, I think we got too bogged down and preoccupied uh, with intelligence versus funny. And the worst thing that can happen to comedy is worrying about whether people think you're clever enough or not. Okay, so let's look at, let's look at that idea of, of uh, proof and of proving things and of the, the agency that you have. I think you have tremendous agency on stage to say the world is like this or the world is like that. And that's something I really struggle with. I was having a conversation with a comic called Finn Taylor last night, a newer comic, and he says something he's doing at the moment that he's finding really useful is realising that you don't have to mean what you say. That's right. You can come up with a two-dimensional version of yourself. And, I was, and he was kind of arguing with me, going, that, it's just that. And I was going, no, but I can't do that. I find it incredibly difficult. But I personally, the comic Stu Goldsmith, I find it very hard to go, oh, I know how my persona would, would react to that. You know, if there's a beach ball, I know how Frankie Boyle is going to think about that. I know how Russell Brand is going to think about that. I don't know how I would think about that. For me, I think it's... It, it, I, I've always found the funny in uh, being very serious about the stupid and very stupid about the serious. And I think, like, sometimes I've noticed now as well, like, say when someone goes, oh, I'm going to do politics now, and then sometimes, like, say you're closer to my age, right, and there's a 27-year-old kid going, I'm going to tell you about politics now. You fucking shut down, don't you? You get like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I don't give half a fat rat's ass what you think yet, young man. You know what? Just dance like a monkey for me. <laughs> and um, so sometimes I can argue either side uh, of a coin, no matter way. Uh, no matter which way it flips. But also, yeah, I've kind of committed now. I've let go of a lot of stuff. What, let... kind, what kind of stuff have you let go of? Because I, I was really interested last time to see the difference between the kind of Road Warrior comic that I was talking about in the posters, <laughs> and Road Warrior is a Mad Max reference, um, to see the difference between that and the reflective kind of post-rehab Brendan, who is calmer and much more zen. And you were, you know, there's, there's a real... You've got so much energy and anger and fire, 
But I was listening, I was listening in the car on the way up here to episode 10 of the Brendan Burns Show podcast in which yeah, I want my 100 bucks back, that one. We can get, into that, that in more, we can get into that in more detail, but, but I, uh, I recommend that to anyone listening. It's fascinating. And to hear you playing back details of a gig, where, playing back the recording of a gig where you were heckled by someone, tore into them, they tore into you, you bet them 20 bucks you could win them over... You failed, and then, but you, you, and I don't want to give away what happens in it. It's a brilliant story. It's a really I only had 100 bucks in my pocket. Yeah. So. But then it turns out, I went back to the recording, and it turns out she was fucking lying. Well, so I want my fucking 100 bucks back. I don't. See, I can get it anywhere. You can just reach for it any time. Well, that, that's it. I was listening to that, and I was thinking, okay, so how much of, of this, when, when the quiet, reflective Brendan listening back to something and going, oh, actually, like, you did a lot of defending her. In, in that podcast, you, you say... I had to defend her to the room. They yeah. were ready to kill her. Yeah? Yeah. In the, in the podcast, you defend her a lot, and you say, now listen, to give her the benefit of the doubt, and you're much sort of wiser and quieter. So let, let's just, before we get, sort of end up talking more about that podcast, I don't want to get too meta here, but let's look at the difference between the fiery, youthful Brendan and the more reflective Brendan. You said you had to let go of a lot of things. What sort of things? Well, I mean, first of all, I think... Um... Uh, I think people that have been following us for years actually always knew there was more going on. So actually in a solo show, if you came to see me and if you paid money, good money to see me, I've always been gracious and grateful for that, right? I've, however, never reacted well to people sitting with folded arms judging. So somewhere... So, so often when people would uh, describe me as that, that firebrand or the offensive or the angry or whatever, for, mm. I think most people that, that actually were really familiar with what I did would go, no, he's emotive, he's emotional. Yes. But anger is the easiest one to tap into. Yes. However, if you were to see me at a late night gig at Late and Live and the audience are just a bunch of baying scum, yep. I'm going to, I'm <laughs> responsive, I'm going to react that way. So if they're going to be baying scum... I'm going to be a bigger paying scum. Okay. Uh, whereas if you, if you come along and you're a fan and you've paid your hard-earned money to come and, <coughs> uh, 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 you know, and listen to what I have to say, then that's always been different from yes. okay. the public perception. When always. You, when, you, when you describe the, the frustration, in one of your own shows even, of seeing someone in the audience with their arms folded, and I'm aware now people are becoming very self-conscious. <laughs> um, but when you see someone with their arms folded, like I might see that, or another comic, any comic, might see that and go, I have to win that person over. And you see that and go, I'm not fucking having that. Yeah. So where, Which where is why the free from? fringe is fucking awesome. <laughs> the free fringe, you can kick people out. <laughs> At the top of the show, like because uh, <laughs> the top I, of the show, pre-select them. Oh yeah, no, totally, no, no. totally. Like if they're an asshole, there was a bunch of stag stag lads, and I was like, look, my show isn't listed where it said it was, right? It's it's there's no posters, no flyers, of one listing in the fringe guide. It's nothing but diehard fans. I've been doing this for 25 years. You don't have the right to be a cunt. Get out of my room. <laughs> Or I actually, like, if someone's sitting there being horrible and judgy, I, like, reached into their pocket and stole, like, 20 pounds. But I I showed a video last year of doing that, and the funniest thing was a guy was doing it the following night. (laughs) So I had a video of me doing that, uploaded it on YouTube, and then a guy was sitting there like that, and I went, you don't get to be a motherfucker. And I ran into, uh, reached into his pocket, and as I'm reaching his pocket, he went, oh, fuck, I saw the video and everything. That's I'm like, all right, keep you 20 quid. That's lovely. But I, I, because 
Well, here we go, right? Like at the fringe, there's three I now understand audience entitlement, particularly at the fringe, because there was three thousand shows that you that you could have gone to see, and ev- and you've got like people hassling you all day and giving you a flyer and going, this guy's the greatest thing since fucking sliced bread. He's the funniest thing. He's the next whatever. Yada yep. yada yada. Yep. And you had three thousand choices, and someone yep. bullied you into going into the room. Then you go into the room, and you that guy couldn't buy a laugh off you, mm-hmm. right? I'm now on that audience's side. Okay. I am now stepping out of that game. Because okay. Do you mean now in terms of like after so many years of doing comedy, now you kind of appreciate that? Uh, it's like my argument is I saw Spider-Man 3. <laughs> and if Sam Raimi was in the building, I would have gone up to him. I would have gone, it's fucking Venom. How do you fuck up Venom? It's like, it's not even you even had to come up with the story. You, you had storyboards. A yeah. hundred million bucks, you fucking cunt. I would have gone nuts at that guy. I, so I, feel, now, I, I feel your pain. I do, yeah. I know you. It's like there were storyboards. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, you're adapting from a book. <laughs> they even had the fucking shots for you. Uh. I love, this, I love the idea of the book of Spider-Man 3. The man was muscly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, and then you've yeah, got like the whole Secret Wars story. I'm so glad that you yeah, understand yeah, exactly yeah. where I'm going. <laughs> and I love that this room is tuned into that. So that's what I mean. So if then all of a sudden someone, I've spent 50 grand on promotion and there's big posters all over Edinburgh and like you made fun of, of like declaring myself a genius. And, and, and incidentally... And Every time a comedian does that, they pick that quote. I ought to know because I did it for 10 years. And so now without bullying anyone into coming, now through, um, you know, uh, podcasting and, and, and having online content, now I'm just starting to reach out to the people that speak my language of funny. Yes. And so then it's, uh, this whole tour I've been doing, uh, the, the outside the yeah, box so tour, yeah. which is I uh, effectively I'm playing anything but comedy clubs. So I mean, I did a gig in someone's kitchen the other night. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was it was that was probably the venue more than any other. That as I was turning up with the audience, it's someone's driveway in the middle of <laughs> suburban Wolverhampton. <laughs> And me and the audience are just all looking at one another going, is this it? This can't be it. This that's isn't... great. I love the idea of like a gig in someone's kitchen is one thing, hypothetically. As soon as you say the word Wolverhampton, that's a very real situation. Yes, it me. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because you're driving in suburban Wolverhampton. And I mean, there's not even a corner store, you know? And so we really like, we're like looking. And then there's this mood of like, <laughs> we found it. And there's already like this secret yeah. handshake between yeah. me and them. And because I realised, like, I'm hearing horror stories from the comedy circuit, that, that there's 110 shows on tour right now. I'm so sorry, that burp must have been really hideous. I, I don't think we really noticed it, but now, no, we'll, no, now no, we'll be able to listen I went, back. Burp, but I actually, like, coned it. <laughs> so I was hiding it from you, but really just projecting it to the podcast. You could probably smell the monster in that. This is like a scratch-and-sniff podcast. Stick, stick to the point, Brendan. We've got limited time. Okay. Now, listen, I, and I know I, I want to direct people to the, to the Outside the Box uh, tour that you're doing, and I, I want us to talk about that. But be, before we get onto it, I want to talk about... Yeah, obviously, you are now attracting uh, your own crowd and you are not bullying them with posters so, and stuff. So like imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine an Edinburgh festival where you didn't ring your PR once, where you didn't ring your promoter once, 
where you uh, didn't look at someone else's poster and wonder why yours wasn't there. But above all, and this is just priceless to me, imagine a tour and a festival with no arguments. Arguments with, with whom? With punters? With punters. Yeah. With no one coming up afterwards outraged. Yeah. You know, because I haven't... <laughs> That's the echo of that burp, by the way, if anyone just... <laughs> Was that you blowing your nose? I really thought it was a chair moving. <laughs> but at first, when I, I thought it also added gravitas. <laughs> when I said, like, imagine a festival with no arguments. And then there was this, and I thought it was a, like a, a guy that didn't know what noise to make at the end. But yeah, but it came out, Mah. So are we, are we to extrapolate from this that normally at your festival shows you have loads of arguments? Absolutely. Because that, that's not typical of every comedian. Uh, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's two, two ways we could look at this. Either I'm extraordinarily bland and never cause any offence, or you create more arguments than most. Maybe. Well, that was short, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, we talk about the nature of offence. It's come up so much as of late. And it's like that whole dapper laughs thing. And comedians are celebrating the fact that this guy is now getting ITC. First of all, it was shit. He's not a skilled comic. That yeah. was all. He's just new. Yeah. All right? And, okay, he would have got taken off the air. But then there's this huge furore. And then, like, he's on Newsnight? Yeah. Like, I mean, how can she sit there and take herself seriously... Like, going, now what do you think? You're interviewing dapper fucking laughs. <laughs> like, forget him. Like, you've effectively, someone's pulled their pants down and you're going, <laughs> look at you with your pants down. Yeah. And it's like, you can't mock someone with their pants around their ankles. And then comedians are like, yeah, there was an ITC and people were celebrating like it was a victory for them. I've been around a long time. I know how this ends. Go on. And it's cyclical. And it just ends up with comedy in the hands of people with no sense of humour. Yeah. They start running things, you know, and, and, and not only that, uh, it's John Saffron put it very well. He's an Australian uh, documentary maker and satirist, and he said, comedians don't realise that you've created the golem, and in the end, the golem eats you. So this is Brendan, and uh, as you can hear, we got stuck in in much the same fashion as we did last time. Uh, I very much enjoyed this. Um, the, what we dis- what we discover later on uh, in the episode, I don't want to preempt it too much, but uh, Brendan talks about his petulance and uh, as a, as a younger comic, his petulance, and I think it is fascinating seeing someone who's obviously been going for so long, as he says, twenty five years, who's able to look back with a real forensic kind of analysis of of who he was then and who he is now. And it's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating to me to hear bits of old Brendan creep back into new Brendan's patterns of speech and, uh, and opinions and so forth. And uh, I, I just think he's, he's such a good guy. And he's, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, a terrific comic. Um, but I, I just find him very, very easy to talk to. So I hope he will return again someday. Um, you can catch Brendan on his Outside the Box tour, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, uh, at a venue, uh, at various venues all over the country. Anything that isn't a proper uh, or a, a proper a standard, a usual uh, comedy venue. Uh, so the tour is still ongoing, and you can go to thebrendanburnsshow.com. That's www.thebrendanburnsshow.com. For more information on that, 
Uh, and for more information on his podcast, uh, as we go on to discuss Brendan and Luke's Outback Adventures, uh, it seems he's, he's quite, uh, Brendan's approach to his podcast is brilliant because it's whatever he's doing at the time. So there's kind of mini series within it. Uh, and as you'll hear, some really fun stuff where he's playing gigs of, uh, he's playing his own deaths. Um, and that is absolutely, I started at episode 10 because it just, it, it caught my eye. I, I really recommend you listen to that one if you're a fan of Brendan, as I'm sure you are. Um, and also, Brendan emailed me after the show, not this time to uh, to tell me off <laughs> for condescending to him, um, but to remind me, uh, or to, as a reminder for himself, uh, that he would like to include shout-outs to some wrestlers who apparently listen to this show. So, uh, hello and uh, lots of, I don't know what, I was going to say lots of love. You can't say that to a wrestler. Yeah, you can. Wrestlers need love too. Lots of love to Wade Barrett, uh, to William Regal, Colt Cabana, who I, I, I met a couple of years ago at the festival, uh, Mick Foley. Uh, and Matt, I'm going to go with Sidal, Sidal, like as in Von Sidal, Matt, Matt Sidal, I think. And this is brackets formerly Evan Bourne, which may be some sort of uh, wrestling insider in joke, uh, or it might just be that his name changed. Who knows? So uh, lots of love to all of those guys. And also uh, in, in a fifth email that I got from Brendan that night, um, he, he told me, and this cannot be true, if, <laughs> if Rowdy Roddy Piper is listening to this, Please send me a tweet at ComComPod. I would love to hear from Rowdy Roddy Piper. Apparently, as as we mentioned briefly, uh, there's lots of similarities in the lifestyle of wrestlers and comics. And apparently, lots of uh, lots of wrestlers are um, are listeners uh, to are fans of fans of British and old comedy, uh, and some of them. Uh, might well listen to this show. So hello there, wrestlers. Get in touch if you're any of those guys or, or you are Rowdy Roddy Piper. Please get in touch with me at ComComPod or even if you're not, if you're another wrestler. And that goes uh, absolutely the same for drag queens. Uh, as you know, um, huge fan of uh, of uh, Latrice Royale, Sharon Needles and RuPaul's Drag Race in general. And uh, my girlfriend and I, Big announcement coming on that, by the way. We're very lucky to see RuPaul's Drag Race Battle of the Seasons, uh, hosted by Bianca uh, Del Rio. Bianca Del Rio, absolutely fantastic drag queen and insult comic. Very, very funny. So search for Bianca's web series uh, online. Uh, we were very lucky that she stood in last minute for Michelle Visage uh, at the, uh, the the RuPaul's Drag Race Battle of the Seasons uh, at the Ballroom in San Francisco. Bianca was hilarious. And if anyone is listening to this who knows her, um, or him, obviously it's a him, but in drag parlance, her. Um, please ask Bianca to come on the show next time she's in the UK. I would absolutely love to, to interview Bianca, not just as a, as a drag act, but as a very, very funny, scathing improvisational comedian. So um, while we're doing shout-outs, let's include a bunch of those as well. And also, hello to Jinx Monsoon, if you happen to be listening. Great fun working with Jinx in Christchurch. That's all the blather. Now, listen, let, this is a big announcement. I sort of You, you might notice this almost came up in the... Um, uh, the uh, interview I did with Lou Sanders. Thank you for your reactions to that. That one's gone down very well, but a big fan of, uh, big fan of Lou. Had a really interesting conversation. That was the previous episode, 110, I think it was. Um, but uh, I mentioned something, and then I got cold feet about uh, announcing it. But this is the announcement. I'm ge- I got engaged. I'm getting married, and I'm super happy about it, and I'm very happy. I don't know why I was cagey about telling anyone. we have been through this process of sort of not telling people that you do. You know, you sort of tell family, and then you tell close friends, and then you tell wider friends, and then you make it publicly available on Facebook and so forth. Um, but uh, I just thought I'd tell you. Uh, I'm uh, super happy. And uh, there's, the engagement story is probably for another time. It might end up being part of this year's 
show, so I won't spill the beans entirely. But uh, it was a, a phenomenally gay proposal process uh, outside the former site of Castro Cameras uh, in the Castro District of San Francisco, where the pedestrian crossings are literally rainbows. They're not. They're not literally rainbows. They're literally rainbow coloured. Um, so uh, there's that. I'm sort of making that as if that's an announcement. I'm thrilled. She seems happy enough, <laughs> and uh, so hooray for love. Uh, last thing before we go back into Brendan, um, I I mentioned in fact at the beginning of this conversation with Brendan, I mentioned uh, stand-up comic, UK comic Finn Taylor. Um, who is taking his second hour to Edinburgh this year. He's released his first hour, and uh, I thought I'd advertise it. It's a free download. There's a, oh, yes, it's right, it is completely free. Um, there is a clip on YouTube, which I will put uh, on the Twitter feed, at ComComPod, and in the Facebook uh, Comedians Comedian Podcast group. Um, and also you can download it by going to www.fintaylor.com forward slash downloads. It's completely free, um, and uh, I am a huge fan of Finns. I'll get him on the show before long. But his uh, his hour is absolutely superb. Uh, I saw him doing new stuff, and he's he's knocked it up a, a gear even since then. Um, so you'll be hearing a lot about Finn. Uh, but you can get his album completely free. So go along and do that. It's fintaylor.com forward slash downloads. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to Brendan. Please remember, if you fancy uh, donating to the show, you can do that at comedianscomedian.com. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com. And uh, as Brendan and I discuss, finding one's own audience, cultivating that audience online is such a big part of how uh, contemporary comedy works now. And um, I'm very, very lucky to have the support uh, of all of you guys. And thanks. Remember to rate the show on iTunes. Every so often that occurs to me, I should tell people to rate it. I think that sort of helps getting noticed somehow. Um, So bung a five-star rating on iTunes if you fancy, and you can write some nice words there as well if you'd like, which might convince other people to to get involved. And, of course, you can donate 20 quid, a one-off donation of 20 quid, a pound a show, or whatever you think is most appropriate. You can donate that via PayPal. And uh, I I promise, I swear down, by the end of this year, uh, there will be the means to... By the end of this year, how much much grace am I giving myself? There will be the means to... Uh, to set up a some some sort of regular payment, something like that. We'll get more sophisticated when the new website comes out, which will happen very soon. Let's get back to Brendan. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So looking at, from you on stage, looking out at punters who previously have folded their arms and that's pissed you off. Like, that's not something you're suffering on this tour now? Because no. You're, you're being very, very selective. You're only getting people. You're doing that uh, thing of cultivating also, a very specific audience. on top of that, better yet, like uh, Greg, Greg Poop said it as well, didn't he, that people say that stand-up is the most intimate art form. Yeah. But yeah, it's not yeah. anymore because podcasts are. It's podcasting, are, yeah. Because yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation. So now, not only are they into what I do, 
they have a backstory. Mm-hmm. I am continuing a conversation they've with a podcast. They've shared baths with you. Yes. And, yeah. And we now and, have are, a, and are doing so now, we can only imagine. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, because people, I think people don't understand that when a, when a joke can be deemed offensive by some people, people don't understand the love and trust and understanding mm. you are showing them by taking that risk. Yes. You, because no one sets out to offend a room full of people. They really don't. Maybe I did while you I was You did, I was going to say. Maybe I did, but that's because the room had offended me first, right? And I was a very petulant, coked-up young man, right? Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be the first to put my hand up to that. But, but really, at the end of the day, no one really is looking out to do that. The simple... Every comedian's motivation when they tell a joke is to surprise you into laughing... And releasing endorphins, so you have a nice night out. Mm-hmm. That is everyone's basic chemical, biological uh, need to do this, and they need to do that because they need love from strangers due to bore parenting or whatever it is. Yep. Uh, they were either molested or like it was a, a, a bad dad or a bad mum. Right? By the way, I'm, I know you're thinking they're like, oh, is he trying to make a joke of that? No, that's literally the three things that make a comic. <laughs> So when you see someone folding their arms in the audience and are unable to move on without digging into them, what is it in you? What, what is that satisfying in you that, you that you would attack someone who, as you say, has been uh, convinced by advertising and taken a punt on it? Because, you know, that whole thing of, like, can you ever blame the audience? From my point of view, I always think you can't blame the audience, except sometimes you can because you've got to let yourself because otherwise you'd, you'd go mental. But you, I can. I've been doing this 25 fucking years. I know more about comedy than comedy audiences. I understand the psychology of funny better than the average man on the street. Now, that is incredible I, to me. Yeah, obviously I've got you eight do. albums, three specials, and a book on the fucking subject. All currently available online, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there you go. But I, 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 agree. I agree. You I'm know a... more about the concept of it. You know more, you're more experienced. But in that one moment of some punter sitting in the audience, he knows more about the experience he's having than you do. Absolutely. And I'm on his side. I'm on his side if I talked him into coming. But now I'm being so off the grid, I'm not going to comedy. That clubs. he's seeking you out, so you didn't talk him into coming. Yeah. So you don't need to... And my facial recognition is, like, almost autistic. It okay, really is, okay. like, I actually recognise, like, I have, the joke is, I'm so painfully unfamous, I recognise my sure. audience. But also... I'm so painfully unfamous, I recognise a guy who keeps getting dragged along by his friends in an attempt to convert him who fucking hates me. <laughs> hates me. And there's something about my voice that it's just this, when will this convict prick shut the fuck up? And every third or fourth joke, his friends will nudge him and go, how about now? And he's like, nah, I still fucking hate him. <laughs> and he's so committed to hating my guts that I've... Because <laughs> the thing is, he'll sit there like... Oh, oh. And, and I'll go, hang on, you're the guy that hates me. And then he pisses himself laughing. So I can't dismiss him as having no sense of humour. Yes. Because I've seen him laugh at his own discomfort five times. <laughs> and, and wait for this, wait for this, at two DVD recordings. <laughs> so that's such a commitment to hating my guts that I think he knows that I'm going to be in the editing suite and I'm looking at this guy and he's almost just like, fuck you. 
you shouldn't be making this. <laughs> in many respects, we're, because of the nature of some of your more recent shows, I've already a little bit, I'm like, you're the boy who cried wolf here. This is an incredibly long setup where this guy eventually murders you and then it turns out it was part of a show. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I'm always looking for perfect narrative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, I was so guilty of that. Of um, My kid and I, uh, because my son's 15 now, haven't discussed him in my act for a long time because he's also the little English kid in an Aussie school and that's like you get your ass kicked for that, right? And also, you get put up a year. Um, <laughs> it's because our summer is different. <laughs> you pack of wankers. Shame on you. See, that's how ready I am. I knew it's what good. that was about. It's good. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, 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 and it was a very, very kind of tense thing. And I've always been like, but around the teen years, I'm very, very mindful of using him as a comedy prop. I never want him to feel used just as something to be pulled for, for comedy, right? So I haven't discussed him in my act for about three years. And then I went out there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Sorry, that? that's just a funny sentence. That I'm very mindful of uh, oh, yeah. him feeling like that, so I haven't discussed him for about three years or so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because it got brought up, which is a longer story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I thought, oh, right, that's like I learned my lesson. I went, oh, okay, I better watch this. And then I was in Australia, and he asked if he could be on my podcast. And I was like, whoa, really? Like, fuck yes. Like, you know, I'd love to make something with him. And then uh, we uh, got a camper van from a camper van company that wants you re- to relocate camper vans from city to city. It's, and you get a free camper van. And so we drove across the Australian Outback together. And I thought it was going to be like uh, three parts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ended up being seven. And because you know how we discussed this before, when you're interviewing mm-hmm. a friend you've known for years on a podcast, you find out shit you didn't know. So who better? than my 15-year-old kid, because those of you that have teenagers, you know that Skyping is just... Yeah, no. Uh. <laughs> but then you all of a sudden stick your pair of you in a car for, like, five days in a race against time. And, of course, <laughs> not only that, he's a little English kid, and I mean it's the fucking Wild West yeah. Australia. It's broom to cans. Okay, I know that means nothing to you, but to put it in perspective, day one we saw a bulldog with a smashed-in face. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, uh, I look forward to listening to those episodes, and I know that you are generating loads oh, and loads yes. of stuff. So to your point, Go on. I tried to get a perfect narrative. Yes. So I tried to tie it all up in the end. And he was like you, just going, stop it, stop it. You don't, you know, the, our relationship isn't over, Dad. You know, it's like the only way this fucking has a perfect narrative is one of us fucking dies. So yeah. I mean, he, shut the fuck up, Dad. He sort of has to kill you, doesn't he? For yeah, that? yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so listen, one of, the things, one of the things we left out, and it was notable by its absence in our, in our last conversation, was I, you were talking about the, the art and the science of comedy, and it occurs to me we've... we've We've uh, talked far and wide about the art of it, but I would like to ask you about the science of it and your technique and how you write. And I'd like, because we, we, that's something I talked to a lot of my guests about and we, didn't, we haven't touched that. Yeah. So if we can rein it in from the Thunderdome anecdotal stuff. <laughs> and, uh, oh! <laughs> that was in America, though, Thunderdome. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't, Terrible. I wasn't, Terrible. Paying, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. Uh, I, um, so I just want to talk to you about how you started off writing because you have now created... I mean, let's, let's mention the specials. You're, you're selling eight DVDs currently in a bundle on your... Eight on your albums, website. three eight specials albums. I cut myself. 
Yeah. So this oh, then is there's another three. So you have that written are on DVD. hours and hours and hours. What, 15, 20 hours, including all the stuff that didn't Easily. make it to the final edit? You must have written, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours. Well, and that's what I've been doing with the podcast now as well. Is I keep travelling around the world and I write stuff based on where I am, and then it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. So now a, a, it's funny how these things morph into what they're going to be. You don't really know when you start, do you? And in the end, it's like a lot of people are worried about burning material. And then I thought, like, I'm in a different country, like, you know, every other month, and I'm writing a new 20 minutes based on whatever happens in that country. Yeah. So I'm taping that stuff because, I, you know, it's, I think I touched upon it last time. What was it? What's the, what's the point of being prolific without posterity? You certainly said a lot of sentences that have that rhythm. Uh, right. <laughs> but that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, it's... it's Okay, yeah. What, I'm sure I've used the right words. Yeah, no, no, you did, you did. What's the point of being prolific without posterity? Yeah. Uh, posterity. Posterity, forgive me. So, uh, yes, you make loads of stuff, you want it to last, you want there to be a legacy. Uh, yes. You want the stuff to be lasting. Yeah. Do you want the... Is it more important to you that the, that the jokes are handed down? You know, in the way that we all know Woody Allen jokes you know, and, or Richard Pryor jokes that are kind of like, oh, those, those have legacy. That is important to me because sometimes I see old stuff of mine turning up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what happens when you go long enough and you write enough. Okay. But sometimes you kind of go like, oh, hang on. Like enough stuff that you, that you think that couldn't just be coincidence. Enough stuff that you go, oh, wow, someone's lifted oh, no, one of my DVDs and no, not realised I'm still alive. No, I think it's lateral thinking. It's, it's, it's collective lateral thinking. Okay. It's, it's similar thinking. But also... Okay. Like, I think trends tend to have a cycle of somewhere between 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff just comes back around and becomes relevant again. Sure. And, okay. and it's almost like you go like, yeah, all right. I did okay. that a while ago. And, okay. and, 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 and part of you wants to go like, why doesn't anyone know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I was to, saying this. Do I have I was, to die of cancer? I was, <laughs> I was saying this yesterday. I saw a, a couple of years ago in a, in a service station, I saw a guy, a biker, who had a high-vis jacket and camouflage trousers. And I was like, oh, I'll make your mind up. And then I, as I saw it, I was like, that, I know that that's been done. I know that I've heard that joke somewhere. But here's me seeing the actual thing. Yeah, I, what was it? Pat Oswald said, life is hack. Yeah right. Is hack. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, life just writes it. Uh, and I've actually had friends who um, uh, have, have, have been to a show of theirs and they've had a similar experience and I've had to let them know before they go to DVD, listen, that's actually word for word mine. Really? And you've remembered it. I know, that, I, know in my, I, I know in my heart and soul they're not thieves. Yes, of course. Oh, and okay, I've just said, look, uh, that's actually mine word for word. You've yeah. heard me do it. But also it's recorded and it's released. And, and how have they taken that? Great. Yeah, because you just go, it's You're on doing the DVD, them a favor. and they go, holy shit, I didn't realise. Yeah, rather than fucking, hey, because there was people that think that they came out with everything. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, but also sometimes you can broach it and go, look, this is out there and it's on a recording of mine and this could, you know, a bad friend would let you just go and do that and have your reputation tarnished. Mm-hmm. Um, and the response has always been, wow, that's a, you know what, that is a good friend. Yeah, you know, I remember it's... being at uh, uh, Battersea, I think, uh, Camden Jonglers, and Comics A and B were switching with Bo. And Comic B got there after opening Bo, and the sound guy said, uh, Comic A did three of your lines. He did that one, that one, and that one. And Comic B was like, oh, I can't believe it. And then he thought, oh, well, when he gets, when Comic A goes to close... If you were to close that gig, when he goes to close the uh, the bow gig, uh, then no one's going to tell him in advance. Who's Comic A? I'm, no, I'm not going to tell you. Why? 
Nine nine. I want to talk about the writing. How did you start writing? What did you do? Did you ever? Did you keep notes? Have you always been a kind of a conversational? Actually, yeah, from day, it was. It, it, it kind of uh, went back and forth when I started. Uh, before my first gig, I actually wrote out my act. <laughs> Go on. And it still exists. Does it? Yeah. Where? Is oh. it available as a downloadable extra on the, on the no, bundle? You know what? I should fa- do that. It would yeah, be fucking man, hilarious. That would be great. That's what I do like doing on so the podcast. So you wrote it out long form. You wrote out all of it. If you notice, like, on the podcast, I have no problems with playing audio of me bombing horribly. Yeah, it's great. It's one of the best bits. <laughs> I, 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 just, I don't know. People know what it's like when I do well. And I think people, people like you. They like to watch people not liking you. I mean, you. it would be really good to release a special that was cut together from just bombing fucking bombing different rooms. <laughs> oh, mate. Someone's got to do it. It might as well be you, man. Oh, man. I, I, I happily, I love tearing apart my old act. I get a big kick out. But so let, let, let's look a, at that. No, act. it's a written folder. Okay. And it was uh, with my comic book collection. Mm-hmm. And I just like, and I went under it. And then there's just this red file. And Sam Raimi could just, direct your DVD. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I flipped open the folder and it was just. Oh, the bullet points alone. Go on. So can you give us an example of one or what the thinking was at the time or what, what you think the thinking was? first opening line I ever wrote was uh, I was in a building uh, that was on fire and being the... Because you know how you always add detail without actually funny segue? Yeah, yeah. Because you watch comedian segue and you think, oh, I should just put in loads of extra detail. That's, that's, that's how jokes go. So it was, it was so laboured. It was, I was in a building that was on fire the other day and being the crazy spontaneous guy that I am, what? I, uh, I went up to the fire alarm and said, in case the fire break glass. So I smashed all the windows and burnt to death. Okay, nice. There's a joke in there. No, maybe I was ahead of my time. I, that's <laughs> the first space. time that's Scurry ever got a laugh, I must admit. And I don't know whether it's derisory or... <laughs> Oh, there's a joke in there. Yeah, in case of fire break glass. And my other opening line used to be, I was feeling, ah, the other day. Uh, every now and then I feel a bit, ah. I was also very hyperactive, and I would jump up and down and do the splits. And going, every now and then I'm feeling, ah. And sometimes I, uh, I'm walking down the street, and I just go, ah. And that's why some people call me a dickhead. <laughs> but wow. I jump up, do splits. Oh, I would make such a meal good. of it. I would do it for like two minutes, bugging the shit out of the room. And the punchline was, and that's why some people call me a dickhead. Yeah. Wow. And so, and so, did you then go on and do that? You you wrote wrote that down. I wrote that fucking down. How many outings on a word processor? (laughs) I actually typed "Ah!" (laughs) brackets. Does splits in air. I'd forgotten all about this. You can, I mean, it's, but it's easy to, to kick young Brendan now from this perspective. Oh, of Presumably course. Presumably at the time you were thinking, this will help somehow to, to write it out. Maybe I'll get other ideas along the way. No, I think at 19 when you're starting to do stand-up, and this is also back in those days, remember, like, I was the only 19-year-old guy. There was no young people doing it at all. Everyone got into it in their 30s. So, uh, uh, first of all, you know, I'd done a couple of concert at school. Concert at school got laughs. Done a couple of speech at family speeches at family events. Killed. So I thought, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, Eddie Murphy was twenty three when he went in uh, did that gig in Washington. So fucking four years, I'm going to take this fucking industry by storm. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. And boy, did my first gig let me know that wasn't true. I remember, well, we talked we talk last time about your first gig, but let's, let's keep it to the writing. Yeah. So you, you wrote that down, what, in, in, like for posterity or just to, like you were working on it at the time? Were I was working, working on it on, on a word process. Yes, and then while I was writing, I would come up with stuff. Okay. And now it's more like I have an idea and then I just start talking on stage. Okay. And sometimes something will prick up in me Someone will, someone in the room will instill something in me, and I will go, "Oh, have you ever... like last night? This was born of a riff. This is disgusting." But I, it's, uh, I was talking to two guys that were closer to my age, and we were talking about being married to slightly younger women, and uh, you don't get your erections aren't what they used to be, effectively. Like, oh fuck! I like I woke up. It started like this because I woke up like just. Three days ago, and all of a sudden, I'm that old cunt. Because I was at uh, the Electric Cinema, and the young projectionist, young hipster projectionist that I still look at and think, like, oh, there's my generation, right? And, and he goes, oh, you've grown out the beard, right? You're rocking that look. You look different from the photos. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he goes, wow. And he wasn't being insulting. Bear this in mind, this was, this was what hurt so much. It was face value. He goes, wow, you know what? I guess Rolf is locked up now. And... <laughs> thought I had lead singer of Clutch <laughs> going. So I talk about this like at the podcast recording and then it turns into a bit I'm talking to these two older guys about morning erections and the fact that, you know, my wife is younger than me and hornier than I am and sometimes a morning erection, she'll go to jump on it but she doesn't realise that the only reason it's there is because I've got a rock-hard shit pushing on my prostate. <laughs> so I've effectively got an erection... Powered by fecal matter. I've effectively got a dick made of shit pushing inside me, giving me that boner, and she wants to jump on it. I'm like, you don't want any of this, honey. This is... And so that was, like, just pure not... I'm... Uh, remember how, like, last time we discussed, like, the first time you step on stage is the most honest you'll ever be? Yeah, yeah. And then when that doesn't work, you develop a mask. Okay. And then you spend the next, you know, and you build that mask up over ten years, and you go, this is what works. And then you start to get a bit frustrated, and you don't really know what it is, and it's because you're not being true to yourself. So then you spend the next ten years peeling that mask away. Yes. And now, I like We, to we think, didn't say that last time, but that's great. Thank you. Yeah, uh, great. But so now, I feel... Through the online content and through reaching, I knew in my heart there was people that spoke my language. And now that they're in, I feel totally unselfconscious on stage. Okay. So last night, all of that just came spewing out just while I was talking to two guys. Okay. And it, all of a sudden... And is, and is that stuff this... I mean, <laughs> it's kind of awful that we need to use this as the example to... to yes, it is. <laughs> let's unpack your fecal matter that, erection. But that is so uh, unfiltered. Yes, yes. That I is see. so unfiltered. I thought I could never admit that to a room full of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden, because we have that trust, that love, that understanding, and, and, and every time a comic gets on stage, I think it was Mark Maron said, every time a comic gets on stage, he wants to be received. And so now, the fact that when I go to work, I mean, this has been so much fun. I, it's for the first time in years, I look forward to going to work every night. And I haven't felt that way in such a long time, except maybe when I'm touring internationally and, like, in a different country and it's a different culture. And then there's, you know, I've got the outsider thing. But, but now, because there's that intimacy, 
I feel received before I even set foot on stage. Are you able to take that with you into a room in a regular comedy club full of people who aren't there? That's the next trick. But to be honest, I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to? I mean, would you be happy doing the box? I want to talk to Robin Ince about it because Robin Ince makes the same mistake I do. Is that when he, I can see it, is the moment that he's in a room that he feels isn't his audience, he starts talking about his audience. Okay. And he goes, oh, well, you see, my audience likes this reference. Rah, rah, rah. And of course, the entire room goes, fuck you, we're your audience now. And I do that. Yeah. I completely self sabotage. Or sometimes if I go to a comedy club and I see a comedian killing with stuff I don't respect, I don't respect the room, I start doing stuff I don't believe in and I don't sell it properly and I fucking suck. The amount of people in this industry that must be saying to people that come to see me personally going, that guy fucking sucks, right? And they're probably right because they've seen me be petulant in a room where I'm just, wah, I'm not immediately received and I just start throwing a tantrum and uh, I ruin them, I ruin them. And I don't know how to get past it. And I think talking to Robin might help because I've seen Robin do the same thing. I've seen Robin in front of his audience and he's delightful, he's charming, he's engaging and then all of a sudden he starts to talk to a room full of strangers and he just goes, I'm smarter than all of you! And I hear it. I hear him just going, I'm frightened, I'm frightened, you aren't accepting me immediately. Where's my room? And I do the exact same fucking thing. That's really... uh, Thanks, man. That's that's, yeah. I think they're absolutely... I think that's a really, uh, what's the word, per something? Anyone help me? Perceptive. Perceptive, thanks. I was going to go with perspicacious. Total nonsense. Don't even, <laughs> don't even, don't even know what it means. Um, that, I think that's really perceptive. That, that idea of your, your petulance yes. and recognising that the petulance is the problem, recognising that in a room full of people who are there to see you, you don't suffer from that and you're better and you have more fun and you look I'm an entirely. That's why I think for years people who have been fans... And they've, like, spoken to people on the internet or whatever, and they're going, this guy's fucking Jim Davidson. I've actually had that comparison, staggeringly. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? But um, somewhere along the way, they've probably seen me in front of what I perceive to be the wrong crowd, and I was just a fucking prick. So what of your... Which bits of your material from gigs where you have had arm folders in, people that weren't your... You know, gigs over the last 25 years, whatever. What, what bits have been your proudest moments in terms of the writing? Your, what, what bit are you most proud to have created? If we were talking about legacy earlier on, what, is, there, is there a particular bit that sticks out for you as, that's my... I, I did that, that, I got everything out of that subject, and I said exactly what I wanted to say. Oh, uh, why I don't use the N-word in public. Okay. I don't know that bit. Which, which DVD is that from? So uh, that is from Thinking Man's Idiot, and I think it's on my US album as well, Pompously Lectures Americans. But that bit has grown now as well. Okay. But it's basically the subtext of the bit. The bit is, I think, not saying nigger is a sneaky white trick. Okay. I think the only people that benefit from it are white people. Because you look at like, uh, and it probably is going to grow more now, because you look at the Trayvon Martin case, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I, I think it's a booby prize. You know what I mean? Uh, because I'm, I'm an Australian that does comedy in England. <laughs> I'm not willing to patronise anyone. But we've discussed this before, is I think that this society is built on more than any other, on who's more than and less than. And I think rather than changing our attitudes and treating one another as equals, mm-hmm. we just go, oh, I just won't use that word. And then, the, and then, the, and then I'm done. Yeah. And then I'm done. Everything's fine. And I think it's a booby prize. 
And I think the Trayvon Martin case proved it better than anything, which my, I might revisit the bit, actually, because uh, I wrote the bit before that happened, and then I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because uh, uh, do you know the Trayvon Martin case? Yeah. Young black kid goes to the shops for Skittles, and uh, there's a neighbourhood watch guy uh, following him because he's a young black kid with a hoodie. And they get into a fight, and the guy starts to lose the fight because the black kid obviously goes, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you following me? Right? And uh, they get into a fight, he starts to lose the fight, and he shoots him dead. And the guy got off scot-fucking-free. And you know why? Because he was on the phone, they had a recorded phone call, and his girlfriend called Zimmerman a cracker. And then everyone went, whoa, whoa, it's all right. When she says cracker, they made it racial. And then the fucking motherfucker got off. And I just think it's, it's, it, 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 it's a very hard thing to explain comedically, so I won't even go into the whole bit, but I just say the fact of the matter is the notion of the bit is I'm not hanging out for my N-bomb day. You know what I mean? I'm not touching cloth. I'm not waiting for black people to say, you can say it now, and I'm going to run around singing it in the street. Because the bottom line is, by making that word taboo, no one's taking it from me, they're giving it to racists. Okay. And that's the point of the bit. Okay. So when you're, so let's talk, and we've only got about five minutes left before we wrap up, but I, I want to just stay with this. And I know we can't go into detail on the bit here, but people listening to this... It's all interested. available on my back catalogue. It's all available on the back catalogue, <laughs> yeah. So um, I just want to talk then about the order in which that bit came together. Did you start off with the observation that we... Well, where, where did you start? What was, the, what was the beginning of it? What have you... How did you add to it? Did you just add to it on stage? Did you add to it off stage? Were you... The beginning was um, I crave black approval because my, all my influences are black comedians. Okay. My favourite comedians growing up were, were black American comics. Sure. So Flip Wilson, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy. And um, <laughs> to the extent where if you see, uh, like Bill Burr does it as well. And so does Louis C.K. We all do it, all us guys in our 40s. We do that with our hands when we're talking. And it's because we want to be Richard Pryor. <laughs> but unfortunately, I drink so much Monster, it depletes my testosterone. It does, it does. It depletes your testosterone. And I've looked at the videos, and I don't look like a rapper. I look like a great big gay lobster. So, <laughs> so I'm, in my head, I really thought like I was like, yeah, you're feeling me, you're feeling me. But it really comes off more like, <laughs> you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> And, uh, and so I really wanted to... You know how, like, white rappers feel that they won't really be rappers until they're accepted by the black community? Mm-hmm. I really want a black audience, right? And then I, and then I, and I, and I went to uh, Africa and South Africa and I started... Uh, <laughs> oh, this is going to sound so pricky. How can I tell this anecdote without sounding like a cunt? <laughs> the conversation that is on ticker tape in Brendan's head 24-7. <laughs> Unless it's an audience and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, how can I say this and sound like a cunt? <laughs> um, a, a lot of the, I learned a lot going to Africa and a lot of the black and coloured acts there. Coloured, by the way, there means mixed race. It's not a racial slur to the extent where if you call a coloured person black, they get upset and vice versa. Right? And, uh, and a lot of the guys, they kind of said, because this was at the dawn of South African comedy and their comedy festival, and a lot of the guys said, look, we're glad you came here, we're glad you said what you did, but we're also glad you're leaving because you'd be dead in three months. And, uh, and then I went to some gigs and started, like, saying people had said that, and they're going, ah, bullshit, what, what? And I was like, all right. 
How many people in this room have a gun? And like fucking <laughs> half the room sticks their hand up. When how many people in this room have been shot? The other fucking half stick their hand up. Um, so I once I started going to different environments and and playing to black gigs. And the one thing I've learned traveling around the world is that it's something that we're not aware of here. Is if you do a black gig, you better have some jokes about black people. You know, thank you, right? You, because otherwise you're fucking irrelevant, you know? And this whole idea of the thing that really bugs me in England about this supposed British sense of humour, what do they say every time? I think it's our ability to laugh at ourselves. Fuck you! Oh, thank you, Massa. We're so glad that Master Race can laugh at yourselves because... The fact of the matter is, if you go to a Muslim country, Muslims love jokes about Muslims. You go to Australia, Australians love jokes about Australians. Everyone loves jokes about them. They just don't think it's fucking magnanimous. Okay, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? There's a real kind of like, oh, isn't it? And, and, and so here yeah, it's all They almost, don't congratulate themselves. Yeah, oh, themselves brilliant. brilliant. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I mean, Asians, you do Asian gigs, Asians love jokes about Asians. You go, you know, you go to these different countries and it's just... That's people, everyone has a sense of humor about themselves. They just don't think it's special. Mm. And uh, so I started going in these environments, and I just, uh, that's, I suppose, where the bit it came from is just about the fact that I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not offended or outraged by the word, but I just thought, like, oh, this is actually a sneaky white trick. So presumably, with such a contentious topic, you couldn't just walk on stage and just talk around the idea, or did you? No. Did you do some prep on that before? You need to be half an hour in. No, I mean, I, I, I see what you mean, but... Before okay. you can go there. Be, but what I mean is the first time you mention that, the first time you give an outing to that thought half an hour into a gig, have you done any kind of written your bullet points out beforehand, or are you just walking on going, I'm just going to face plant into this? And no, that about. was written on a laptop. Okay. The first time I did it was written on a laptop and it went from 5 to 20, Okay, I think. And do you have any, when you're talking sort of about your, your writing more generally, do you have strategies to get you out of... I mean, do you ever have times... He's <laughs> me asking Brendan Burns. Do you ever have times when you don't have anything to say? <laughs> <laughs> but do, you ever, do you ever feel blocked and do you ever need to get out of that? Or is there always... Or do you ever feel tired of a particular trope? Do you ever go, oh, God, I can't, you know, I can't do it today? No. I think there's been times when I've wondered what I was going to do for a living. Mm. I think before this, I think if you asked me this two or three years ago, when, like, for the first time ever I'd lost money in Edinburgh, and I could see the cultural shift of the overexposure, and Patrice O'Neill, black American comic, always used to say to me, you know, you're 15 years behind me, motherfucker. Uh, Bearing in mind he was dressed as a pimp at the time. Uh, (laughs) But he, he used to always say British comedy hasn't, you know, it's in its boom period. America went through that in the 80s and the 90s was the downturn, which is why they've got such brilliant comics coming out of there now. Because mm. the only people that got into comedy were people that had to do it or die. Mm. Right? So your Patton Oswalds, your Louis C.K.'s, your Bill Burr's, your Patrice O'Neill's, all those people did comedy because it saved lives, because it's, it's, they were born to do it and they had to do it. Whereas we've gone through that period where there's a lot of money in it. And, you know, you'll have a pretty young kid going, oh, this is my way into sitcom, this is my way into something else or whatever, right? So it starts to get a bit generic and everyone becomes a bit samey and audiences turn up and expect to see what they see on television Mm -hmm. and then when it's not what they see on television, they get upset and then financially clubs start to suffer because they start kowtowing 
to people that complain. So you asked me this two or three years ago. I was seriously thinking, like, I've got to get out of this fucking country because I see where this is going. And then, after talking to you, started doing the, the podcast thing and then started because we returned to the original point of there was 110 touring comedy shows this year, more than ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing horror stories of 400 seaters with 20 people in them. Yeah. And I thought, why compete with a, com- a comedy club's mailing list to have people come along? And it was a couple of punters that had come to see me at very reputable comedy clubs, but there was still a stag do in and someone passed out mm-hmm. drunk and then an ambulance had to be called and people came up to me afterwards and said, I've been following you for years. I really wanted to hear what you've been working on. And yeah. I just thought, let's fuck off. Let's just step outside, do what like David Cross, Doug Stanhope, Neil Hamburger did and go to go to hidden locations, go to secret locations and it's just you and me and you guys. And I've, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been happier. I think last year at the Free Fringe, I had a better time than even the year I won the Eddie. Because, uh, and I mean, that's everyone's dream. Because that was the most, sometimes shows have been selected and other times there's kind of a clear winner. Like the, 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 I don't mean as in, from a vain point of view, what I mean is I was the bookie's favourite. In the first week. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like it was, it was not me as a comic. It was right show, right time, right guy. Yes, yes. Um, because it was, it was apt and, it, and, it, and, it, and so I just got lucky with the right show, right time, right guy. And, and uh, I although I'd always dreamed of that and that's, you know, despite what every comic claims, that's everyone's dream to and, have and that you, year. And you felt, I mean, I heard at the time, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that you, you won and then you immediately rang up all the commercial clubs and pulled all your gigs in that you didn't want to play. Is that true? No. Nothing I hear about anyone is true. Forget it. Move on. <laughs> and that, was a, that was a story on the circuit at the time. Really? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. I had a tour booked <laughs> before the festival. Okay. That's hilarious. Yeah, well... I pulled in my clubs. No, I didn't do club dates because I was booked there's, on a there's tour. There's literally not one single time in 110 episodes I have said to someone, and you know everyone on the circuit thinks this, and they've gone, oh, that's true. Everyone has always gone, nope, bullshit, don't know what you're talking about. Total <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, 100% okay. bullshit. Let's get back to that point then because we, we must wrap up. I'm sorry, we started late because of the, the text. So oh, shit, I've got to get um, to my show, don't I? You do. It's, uh, ten, it's, it's seven minutes past. Seven minutes past? Okay, cool. Yeah. Who's coming to my show? Yeah! Do you know where it is? Yeah. Is it do far? You... Is it walking distance? Walking. Okay, yep. cool. I'll follow you guys. Okay. <laughs> he really does have a very one-to-one relationship. Oh, yeah. It's zero fourth wall. Zero. <laughs> Just to finish this thought then, uh, since discovering that you can find the audience yourself, get them yours. Like, you've been, you've been growing an audience for ages, but now you're cultivating that audience. Yes. And you are able to make that relationship with them, have jobs, have gigs that you enjoy more, to people who enjoy your stuff more. What's the next 10 years' worth of that look like for you? Well, remember how we discussed it last time? How we said that there are people in America who you've never heard of mm-hmm. who make a great living mm-hmm. from just doing yeah, online 10, content. 10,000 true And they don't fans, have yeah. to... 10,000 true fans. Yeah. That's all you need. And is that... You're committing to that now? That's in depth. I mean, have you got any retirement I don't want to be plans, fucking famous. Right? Are you planning... How, how much more comedy do you think you've got in you? Have you got another 20 years? Yeah. Are you going to do it till you die? Uh, I, I think... Uh, let's face it. Come on. The man of monster I drink. Let's enjoy... You're going to die quite soon. Yeah. <laughs> My death will not be slow. <laughs> let's just enjoy me while I'm here it's, I even had to say that to my kids it's too much monster and I went yeah but you know what I'm not going to drag it out son <laughs> I'm going to be there I'm going to be there I'm going to be there and it's you know what it's only going to be the memory of what I was like not the last fucking five years of 
Someone help my burner that's run by shit. <laughs> there is no finer point to leave it than there. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Brendan Burns. <laughs> So that was Brendan Burns. What a what a lovely guy. Huge amount of fun. Uh, sorry for some of the explicit content there. I might have warned you at at the beginning, um, but you you know what come to expect now. We're, we're all grown ups, and we're are we all grown ups? I'm not going to do a shout out. Get in touch if you're a child. <laughs> Maybe some of you. You shouldn't be listening. There's naughty stuff on here, um, but. Uh, I hope it is inspiring young people. What a Goldsmith answer that was. That was I just classically Goldsmith that. A thing occurred to me, and then I tried to make sure it was completely acceptable to everybody. Hideous. Um, if you were listening to me freak out last time during the Lou Sanders conversation, good news. Uh, I managed to put that show together in a week. What an exhilarating process. I'll talk more about that at, an, at another time. But I uh, had some lovely, lovely previews over the weekend. Thank you to everyone that came to my, my preview at uh, Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival over last weekend. And indeed, the Phoenix Fringe, both of them brilliant, brilliant uh, organisations, which uh, afforded me really fun opportunities to try some really wonky stuff. But wonky, I think the audience of those shows would agree, just wonky in a really fun way. I think I'm getting increasingly wonky. I think that's good. I'm enjoying it. Thanks to Brendan. Thanks to everyone. If you're Rowdy Roddy Piper, if you are the human being Rowdy Roddy Piper, please <laughs> text uh, to tweet me. Don't, don't text me. You can. Uh, tweet me at ComComPod. Uh, lots of love to all the wrestlers, all the drag queens, all the open spots, all the wannabes, all the artists, all the bakers, uh, and all the candlestick thieves. I've been Stu Goldsmith. It's www.thebrendanburnshow.com for all of those downloads. And, of course, for the download bundle, which I should have mentioned earlier. Um, the download bundle, I think, is something like 20 quid or 24 quid. You get eight albums, loads of great stuff from Brendan. So go there in your droves and, uh, and do that. I'll speak to you soon. Back next week with someone, uh, a fun, unusual curveball. So we'll speak to you then. Mm-hmm.